0: SAFM Sports Special with John Kereka, your Sporting Information Centre.
1: Get an update on the rugby now, EP Kings against the Sharks. Craig, what's happening?
2: Since you were last with us, three more points for the Sharks, 24-13 they're leading. Uh, Joe Peterson kicking his first penalty of the match, that in the 61st minute. Sharks have had a good second half, they went into half-time 13-7 down, and uh, they were 13-0 down at one stage, so they've scored 24 Unanswered points. So uh, it's been uh, a good fight back from the Sharks after looking pretty ragged for the first half an hour of this game. They didn't look like they were going to score at all, but uh, they've got their act together, and maybe this is the performance they need just to turn their season around. Joe Peterson, Francois Clenace, and Daniel Depreia have scored tries for the Sharks so far. Joe Peterson has converted all of those, and he's also kicked the penalties so for a 14-point haul so far. For the Sharks, uh, flank Tim Aboli scored a try, which was converted by fullback Scott Van Bredaar and Van Breda has also kicked two penalties in the ninth and the 32nd minute. So the Sharks in control of this one, about 16 minutes to go to full-time, 24-13, aside from Durban Leeds. Back to you in the studio, John.
1: Thank you, Craig Ray. I'm just uh, retweeting a tweet here now from uh, Katlejo Mosetza, who's on Twitter. And he tweeted, before objecting the fact by saying I'm racist, may I ask if black rugby players were born, trained, and keeping diet to be fit for rugby? I'd love to hear your views on that. And you can join us in a Twitter conversation about that. Uh, I've jumped in there as well. So do join us on Twitter, SAFMSS, because this conversation can carry on beyond the show as well. So uh, do join us as well. I think uh, raised an interesting question, and it's a question that was raised many, many years ago um, I forget who it was, who was the, was, the, was the Serbian coach for Kaiser Chiefs, I forget maybe not be Serbian no, it wasn't it wasn't there, it was somebody else and and he made a good point it could have been Mission integral. I think so um, I forget which country he's from I think it could have been Entregrel where he raised the point that uh, South African footballers aren't big enough to be able to play on the international field if you compare them to the Nigerians and the Algerians and that was his thing and, and maybe Katlak was bringing this up It's uh, a big Afrikaans rugby player is certainly different to somebody who hasn't Born with a rugby ball And played it from In the cold field Barefoot from when They were two years old And it's a difficult Thing to do And I'd, I'd, I would never Want to be a sports Administrator Never ever ever Now let's move on From uh, rugby team I think it's enough For that Let's find out about This uh, this community project as part of our Women in sports About girls and football South Africa Let's read this for you Quickly HIV AIDS Teen pregnancy And violence against Girls and women Are highly prevalent In South Africa Inspired by this fact The need to provide Girls with a positive Platform to develop We use football as a vehicle for education and a source of empowerment for girls, equipping them with a strong sense of body ownership and promoting self-esteem. We're joined by founder and director, Joss Dirks. Joss, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Explain why you, and obviously you said you're using football to empower women. How do you make football do all those things?
3: Hi, John. um, So, Joss here. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me on the show. First of all, I really appreciate it. So, our curriculum is... um, really based on the primary health concerns that girls are facing, and not just in South Africa, we see it really globally, and not at the same levels, of course, but when it does come to things like teen pregnancy, awareness on sexual health, body ownership, There's a two-way conversation we're having, you know, so yes, one part of it is empowering the girls and making sure that they have access to the information that they need, but a lot of it is also rooted in play and the confidence that comes from team building, from leadership skills, from learning from inspirational coaches, and from seeing other women be successful at a sport that's primarily residing in a male domain. So it's really a 360-degree approach that we use to ensure that girls have access to health information that they need.
1: Why sports? Why not just put them in
3: a lecture hall and tell them these things? Right, so I mean, if you can think back to your 12-year-old self, sitting quietly and listening to adults talk about things (laughs) that might not necessarily be primary um, interest topics, it can be a bit Tricky, actually, and it surprises me because, you know, I I, when we originally started our work back in 2012, I thought, you know, the girls would be very keen to sit and talk, and they are. They definitely are, but they really also appreciate the opportunity to play together, to build teams to choose teams, to learn drills, and it's really fun to see because at the end of the day, the primary target group that we work with, which is girls aged 10 to 14, they want to play, you know, Mm. and and kids don't often have the opportunity to just spend two hours running and and laughing with their friends and participating in in a school sport or in a team sport, so that's uh, why we chose this approach. How successful
1: has it been so far?
3: Well, we've worked with over 3,000 girls in South Africa, and then we have a mobile health app, um, which has 63,000 subscribers. But I don't want to measure success by numbers. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest things that have happened is that, um, a small NGO like ours has really grown to a team of almost, um, 10 um, workshop leaders that work, you know, actively with these girls with passion. And it's, it's beyond just the numbers, it's the change that's that we're making. And I think one of the best ways to measure that is sometimes we'll have dads come to games, come to workshops and they are like, you know, we are so happy. I'm so happy to see my daughter play. Mm. And that is actually, that's that cross gender um, change that I think is really important. It's when dads and then brothers also recognize the importance of seeing their daughter or seeing their sister take to the field and, and put on a good game with other girls. And, if we can start making that change and start encouraging people to view each other in a safer space and a safer environment, then I think we're really on the right path.
1: Uh, you you kind of answered it with the, the cross gender, as you said, but why girls? It, it's uh, men play football, not girls.
3: All right. Well, there you go. Um, so of course that's the that's the dominant idea that we have, absolutely. And there's no, you know, right or wrong approach to this. Uh, we actually interviewed almost 800 boys in. Uh, one-on-one and interviews and and focus groups, because it's not you know like I said at the beginning, it's not just a one-way conversation. It really is a two-way conversation, and including boys in the conversation is very important as well. However, um, what we noticed with the primary research that we did, which took about you know we did for six months, we interviewed over 50 people uh, from amateur to professionals to coaches. In South Africa, and we, we started to notice that there was just such a limited platform for girls to play sports and to even have access to that safe space where it's just girls. And I'm not saying that um, interaction between boys and girls isn't important when we look at um, you know the, some of the challenges that you that you said um, in the beginning, but. When we um, when we do have the opportunity to provide girls with some space that's just theirs, where we can equip them with a platform to have conversations they might not feel comfortable having with uh, with boys in the same space.
1: How do you choose where you go, and how do you get those communities involved behind you?
3: Um, So that's a great question. So we will straight on, you you know, like no questions asked, just go to a school and say, look. Here's our curriculum. This is why we think it's important. Uh, we, you know, we, will show a principal or a teacher, a physical education teacher, our curriculum, lay it down for them and, you know, say, here's what we want to work on with your girls. Can we do that for two, you know, two hours a week or four mm. hours a week? And then we start implementing our program. So it's a two-way conversation again. It's not about saying, look, we think this program is right and we'll answer all your questions. It's like, hey, Um, here are some challenges we've noticed girls are facing. Do you agree? If so, let's work together.
1: Mm. And are you going to get bigger? Are you going to be able to reach more people?
3: Let's hope so. Um, You know, the NGO space, particularly in in, uh, South Africa, is a challenging space to work in. Obviously, you're dependent on uh, donor funding, which is never fun um, because, of course, it adds an element of needing to target programs. And, you know, a certain topic might be a hot topic in the NGO space for a while, mm. and then untrend. Um, so it's a really <laughs> tricky space to work in, mm. but I'm very passionate about the work that we do, and I'm very passionate about um, girls' health and girls' education, and boys' health and health education as well. So yeah, I I wouldn't see myself or the team stopping anytime soon.
1: Where can we find out more about this, Joss? I've got uh, for 25 pages in front of me, but where, where's a good place to start?
3: Well, I appreciate that question. Um, you're obviously, you know, I'd love it if you can Check out our website, which is www.girlsandfootball.org. And, of course, our Facebook, Girls and Football SA, and our Twitter, which is Girls Football SA as well. And we've got um, a lot of access to free resources that we want people to use that are really about, you know, working with boys and girls. So anybody who's keen to get involved and, like, make a change in their community, um, this isn't just, you know, a one-team job. This is up to all of us. So those are great places to start.
1: All right, just making sure that website, girlsandfootball. what is the
3: website? Girlsandfootball.org.
1: .org. Oh, you see, I typed it in the wrong one here, you see, it's O-R-G, <laughs> girlsandfootball.org. All right, we'll put that up on our Twitter as well. Great chat to you. Thanks very much for helping the girls. And as you were saying, girls also influence families, don't they? It's the women that make the decisions at the end of the day.
3: Well I'd like to I, I'd like to think of it as a team effort, absolutely, but yeah, you know different um men and women make different decisions for families, and if the the more that we have fluidity in that space, the better and definitely equipping kids you know with the tools that they need to make the right decisions for themselves and their future families. That's step one to a more uh, strong community.
1: Thanks very much for joining us, Dr. Uh, Joss Dirks, founder and director of Girls and Football. Find out more at www.girlsandfootball.org. We'll put uh, that link up on our Twitter as well. And uh, just looking at at the kind of money that you need here, thanks to, they've reached 3,000 girls in South Africa, $15, it's all in American. Buys one ball for a team, $75, provides training material for three female coaches. So for a 1000 bucks, you can provide training materials for three female coaches. And how many people can they coach? Uh, $250, a little bit much, provides five trips for 10 volunteers to rural communities And uh, you can make a donation as well That's, I think it's a great initiative Girlsandfootball.org, we'll put that link on the Twitter as we speak And while I'm doing that, let's get in the
4: rugby update with Craig Ray
2: Eight and a half minutes to go in Port Elizabeth And the Sharks still leading by 24 points to 13 And uh, they scored 24 unanswered points, uh, points after trading 13 nil midway through the first half and, uh, for the Sharks, it's been a very good, uh, and impressive second half performance. The scrum has stabilized after being under a lot of pressure in the first half, and that's largely to do with the introduction of Thomas Dutoy, the SI under 20, uh, scrum uh, prop, uh, at, uh, at Blue's Head. So uh, the Kings desperately trying to get something out of this game, attacking a lot in the last five minutes, and they're hoping to maybe uh, earn a bonus point out of this, maybe even sneak a win, but they'd have to score pretty quickly. So uh, the Sharks' tries from Joe Peterson, Francois Canines, and Daniel Di all of those converted by Joe Peterson, who's also kicked a penalty. For uh, the Kings' flank, Tim Bavoli scored a try in the fourth minute, which was... Converted by Scott Van Breda And Van Breda has also kicked two penalties But it's the Sharks in the driving seat at the moment They lead by 24 points to 13 With about uh, 7.5 minutes to go
1: Well with Craig Ray After that let's go to Something from the BBC Anthony Uja is a Nigerian international He plays at the highest level in Germany But if you put the striker's name into a search engine You won't be greeted by a goal, But by a goat Late last season he celebrated scoring by pulling the horns of the bully goat mascot of his former club FC Cone. Fans are furious, and he's be telling sports hours, the BBC sports hours, Steve Crossman, about the events that led up to a public relations tour with the animal in question and how the new team's mascot, Vader Bremen's dog, is
4: safe. I would say just a simple explanation. I would say that was too much emotion. <laughs> 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 that was too much expression of emotion. I, I, it's not something I, I planned. You no, know? I, actually, I, I've celebrated my uh, uh, two goals in the previous two seasons with, with it, but I never came in contact with it. I just go around it, and um, it's, it's a club I, I, I love so much, and and this club mascot, this, this, the, the Billy Goal, it's like. Is a, is a symbol of the club, you know, there yeah. is no game that the, the the goat won't be there, you know, come rain, come sunshine, whatever the weather is, the goat is always there. So when I came close to the goat, I was out of my mind, I didn't know what I was thinking at this moment, so I just did that and then uh, directly... After the game, I was feeling different. Like, okay, I think something has gone wrong. And I, although I, 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 kind of, I didn't expect the reaction that 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 came. Really, I, uh, I was just being happy that we won this game, that I scored. But then the weekend was not the weekend that I expected because I had to do a lot because of this situation. The vice president of the club had to contact me, and uh, that we had to really go to the zoo to visit him one more time because I. I I didn't mean to, to hurt him or something or to be disrespectful. I was some photos with the goat. Yes, yes. And after doing that, that was, the game will played Saturday. The next day I had to do that. And then the top day was its birthday. I had to go back again with over 20 journalists coming around. So, <laughs> it was a, it was a horrible, uh, a week after this happened. Um, but I learned from it, you know, I, it's, I'm not, uh, someone who, who was mean to animals or disrespectful anyway, but it was just like, um, with just too much emotions. And directly, I uh, I, I gave an apology, and I knew I, I wasn't going to do that again.
5: The mascot of Verde Bremen is a dog. <laughs> the uh, Nigerian national team, of course, they are the super eagles. So are, are those two animals safe?
6: Uh,
4: I think I'm not going close to any of those. <laughs> because they are more dangerous. You know, for me, as an African, you know, um, the way dogs are in Europe is quite different from the way dogs are in, in Africa. In, in Africa, you get dangerous dogs, you know, who are really, really dangerous, and uh, I'm not someone who are very good with dogs, and and eagle, you already know, I'm not going to, to that. <laughs> I think uh, in the future of celebrating with an animal, I think no, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs>
6: I love that he still keeps in touch with the GOAT. Anthony and Steve Crossman. And Anthony scored his first Bundesliga goal for Werder Bremen last night, rescuing a point in a 1-1 draw. And I believe no animals were harmed in the making of his particular celebration last night.
0: SAFM Sports Special with John Kereka. Your Sporting Information Centre.
1: You are there, SAFM, there's uh, been a try by the Kings, a penalty try in fact awarded to the Kings, a high tackle coming from the number 11 of the Sharks so the EP Kings 20, Sharks 24 right now, 20 points to 24, 5 minutes to go, close game that one there, uh, updates on other football around the world, in Spain Real Sociedad and Gijon playing to a no score draw, Bologna and Sassoulo are no score after just about half time in Italian Serie A action, in Germany, Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen playing to no score draw after 15 minutes. Spurs and Everton are goalless after 15 minutes in the English Premier League. Let's go to, or stay with the BBC now, the killing of Cameroon footballer Albert Ebossi. Moments after a match he played in for his team in Algeria shocked the world of football. Now just over a year on we ask why so many questions about his death have remained unanswered and why no one's been brought to justice. John Bennett's been speaking to Albert's brother as well as looking at the mounting evidence that counters the claims made by authorities in Algeria to what actually happened.
6: Did the Cameroonian footballer Albert Ibose die as a result of a rock thrown from the crowd, or was he beaten to death? Twelve months after the incident that shocked the world of football, his family is calling on FIFA to help them to finally find out the truth. On Sunday, it will be exactly 12 months since the 25-year-old died, straight after his club, JS Kabylie lost a match in the Algerian top division. But officials in Algeria and Cameroon still disagree about the cause of his death. John Bennett has been following this story for our Sports Hour programme. And first, John, give us more details about those two theories about how he died.
5: Well, Caroline, Albert Abossé was last seen alive walking towards the tunnel after the defeat against USM Alger. At the time, it was reported that he died in hospital from head injuries sustained after objects were thrown from the stands. The official Algerian report back this up as well. But then in December we had a twist. The pathologist who carried out post-mortem tests in Abosse's home country, Cameroon, said the player had died as a result of a beating. He said Abosse suffered upper body injuries which indicated signs of a struggle. I've seen that that post-mortem report myself. I have to say it's very disturbing. It certainly raises many questions that, that need investigating. And I've been speaking to Albert Ibosse's brother, Giulio Bojongo, who tells me that not knowing how his brother died is causing huge pain for the family.
0: Every day, every second, I ask the questions. What happened? Why? We still don't have any answers, whether that's from J.S. Kabali or the Algerian government. We still don't have answers, and that's extremely disturbing. It's very important for us to know the truth. Our lives are still traumatised by this. Julio,
5: what do you personally think happened?
0: Albert, I think, was murdered. But I don't know why, and that's what I want to know. Why? Why did they do what they did? Why?
5: Tell me more about the Albert Ibossé that you remember. What was he like as a person, and what was he like as a brother?
0: Albert, everyone will tell you the same thing about him. He was really a lovely person. He did a lot. Even just before he died, he sent money back for someone in the village who was very ill.
5: And of course, it goes without saying that you must miss... Your brother, every day.
0: If you were next to me, I'd show you my phone. It has a photo of Albert on the screen. The day of his death, he called me. The morning of every match, he used to call me. He liked hearing my voice and asking for advice. He said, I'm going to score. I promise you, I'm going to score. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that was it. We know that
5: he left behind a young daughter. She's two years old now. How is Alberto Bosé's little daughter?
0: She's doing well. She's growing well. Of course, she's still innocent. She sees her father on photos. But of course, one of these days, we're going to have to tell her that her father is dead when she's older. That moment will be extremely difficult.
5: So, Julio, what do you want to happen now? How can people, how can football help you to find out the truth
0: about what happened to your brother? La FIFA and la CAF. La FIFA. FIFA and CAF. FIFA and CAF have to get involved. Algeria is part of CAF and FIFA. So, FIFA have to get involved. But FIFA haven't done anything or done anything yet, because we haven't seen evidence of them getting involved. First of all, I want to know the truth. He'd feel betrayed by FIFA, betrayed by CAF, because all these institutions have to get involved so that the truth comes out. CAF have never been in touch with us to this day.
5: So what will the family be doing now? They're going to take their case to FIFA to try to get some help to find out the truth. Was he killed by a rock thrown from the crowd or was Albert Ebossé murdered? The family's being represented by a high-profile French sports lawyer, Jean-Jacques Bertrand. Supposedly, Algeria's Ministry of Justice opened an inquest into Albert Ebossé's death on the 19th of December. But the lawyer says that since then, the family have heard nothing.
7: Up to The case works, I can say, very slowly because we have absolutely no answer from the Algerian uh, justice. It's a a lack of consideration and respect for the player. We must go on. We must not stop because of this. We have no words at all about the inquiry in uh, Algeria.
5: Why do you think that more people haven't taken notice of this autopsy report carried out in Cameroon?
7: I think it's the world of silence, you know, in, uh, in Algeria. For sure, uh, on the scene uh, of the, the, the accident, there were a lot, a lot of people. And we have no testimony of anybody.
5: What about FIFA then? Are you angry that FIFA haven't taken a lead in this? You, you, you can
7: speak not only about FIFA. We can speak also about the CAF. You know, uh, but we don't give up. In the next weeks, uh, FIFA will be officially receive. Will re- officially receive a, a claim. Uh, what uh, ask the the family of the player is to be helped by some. Federation some personalities who can uh, make pressure to have uh, the the just what what asked the the family is the truth you know the truth of the death
5: I've heard from FIFA Caroline they say this is a matter for relevant authorities so FIFA has no comment at the moment and I've heard from the Confederation of African football as well they say it was decided not to have a parallel action with FIFA so basically they say they're leaving it to FIFA I don't think uh, those answers from FIFA and CAF will be satisfactory for the family.
6: We were hearing about his baby daughter, John. Has she been looked after financially since his death?
5: It's a good question because Albert Abossé was a very promising footballer. It's worth uh, pointing out that he was on the brink to a move to Europe. He was on the brink of a call-up to the Cameroon national team. He had a year left on his contract as well. And he used to send practically all of his money home. He was building a complex, a house for his family when he died. They have had money for the daughter from the Algerian government and the Algerian Football Federation, but the family say that in 12 months, they've heard nothing from the club and they've been sent no money from the club. This is what about Albert de Bossé's agent, Sylvain Honang, had to tell me.
4: They didn't receive any single support. They haven't any received any money support. from the club?
5: They haven't received any money from no the club money, that Albert no, played for?
4: No money at all. I have been talking to this club now for a year, I have, I, have, I have tried every, everything, When he had one year contract left, uh, £110,000 that he have to pay to this family, Albert gave everything to this club, I say, I'm not talking as an agent, I'm really angry because I'm talking as a human being.
5: How would Albert be feeling about all this if he were alive?
4: very betrayed very betrayed albert gave everything to this club and this uh, and this president
5: caroline i've tried to contact jess Cavalier, the club albert de Bosse played for when he died without success i've been trying and trying to get hold of the the president of that club in the past he's claimed that he gave money to the federation to pass on to the family they'll all be gathering the uh, family of albert Bosse in their village to celebrate albert's life on sunday but they continue to wait for answers.
0: John Herricker on SAFM.
1: That was from the BBC. It's SAFM Sports Special. Let's wrap up the episode Curry Cup Action for the weekend. Sharks uh, with a win. Craig Ray.
2: Finally, the Sharks pulling it through. The Kings <laughs> remain winless, I'm afraid. 24-20 the final score then in Port Elizabeth. The Sharks uh, producing an excellent second-half performance, although the Kings did fight back late in the game. And they could have stolen it at the end. They almost had a breakout from their own 22. That could have been the winning try, but a little knock on put paid to those hopes. So the Sharks and scoring three tries, one from uh, fullback Joe Peterson, Flanks, uh, Francois Claynance and Daniel Dupre both added tries. Peterson converted all three of those tries and also kicked a penalty. Missing one penalty, a long range effort late in the game just to try and put some daylight between the sides. For uh, the Kings, Temba Bowley scored a try as early as the fourth minute, which was converted by Scott Van Bredaar. And Van Bredaar also kicked two first-half penalties. And then late in the game, in the 75th minute, a uh, penalty try was awarded to the Kings with Ronnie Cook, the centre, looking like scoring in the corner. Spura Sitoli made a high tackle on him stopping the try and a probable try. He went to the Sinbin for his uh, effort, but uh, even with the penalty try and the conversion, it wasn't quite enough to get the Kings over the line for their first win of the season, but a bonus point for them nonetheless, and they uh, have now moved to three points on the standings. They are above Griquas, who lie in eighth position, but uh, it's the Golden Lions and the Blue Bulls still setting the pace in the Apsicari Cup this year, but uh, a good win for the Sharks. Uh, Especially as they were 13-0 down at one stage in that match So Sharks winning then by 24 points to 20 Back to you in the studio
1: Craig, it looks like there's going to be a good battle for 3rd and 4th place this season
2: Yeah, I think that's where the real battles uh, (laughs) are Shaping up with the Cheetahs, Western Province uh, And the Sharks probably vying for those uh, positions Maybe even the Pumas Mm. can get their season back on track as well But uh, um, yeah, I think the top two are pretty much sorted for the next little while uh, yeah, you'd expect the Bulls and maybe the Lions to drop a game somewhere along the way. But uh, they, they're pretty much uh, stretching ahead now from the rest of the field.
1: Is This, this is the halfway season, carry Cup, home and away, so they'll play seven games each. Is that right?
2: Yeah, they've got a few more uh, in the first round to go. Um, eight teams, so they've got 14 matches. Oh, and, okay. uh, yeah, seven home, seven away. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I suppose we're we just over, what, a quarter of the way through the... the, the maybe a, a, a third of the way, nearly, through the... Uh, Fixtures.
1: Still a long way to go. Huh? All right, Craig Gray, thanks very much for that report. Craig Gray, watching all the rugby action for us in case you missed it, the Sharks beating the EP Kings towards the end there. The Lions top the table. They're one point clear of the Bulls in second. Western Province a third on 10 points, the same as the Cheetahs. Sharks are now on 9 points. Pumas on 8, Kings on 3, and Greg Glass on 1 to a quick update on the football. Before we look ahead to the big football coming up this evening, it's uh, Spurs and Everton. there, goalless after 27 minutes in the English Premier League and not much other changes in the early games. Bringing updates on that if anything changes. Let's now go to our local football action today. There will be live reports this evening here on SAFM. As the second leg Of the MTN8 semi final Chiefs against Bloemfontein Celtic uh, so Chiefs have The home uh, The away goal Advantage going
8: Into this leg Mo Ali It's it's all for Celtic to do In a tough Opposition at The FNB Stadium Absolutely John uh, As you mentioned 1-1 scoreline Means that a Goalless draw Will be good Enough uh, for Chiefs So 1-1 scoreline Won't take the Game into extra Time It will actually Take the game Straight into a Penalty shootout So uh, that may be The way for Celtic to do it Although Celtic uh, you know, had a very good win against Orlando Pirates in midweek. Uh, minus eight of their regulars and Steve Compella the uh, Kaiser Chiefs coach has said that maybe Celtic will have fresher legs coming into this evening's game because of course Chiefs also had a game in Woodby when they were held to a 1-1 draw against Polakwani City and uh, Celtic haven't beaten Chiefs in any competition since 2009 and tonight is a perfect opportunity for them mm. to try and reverse that. You mentioned that in this morning's report, I couldn't believe it, it's such a long long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and similarly in tomorrow's game as well, I escaped town haven't won in Johannesburg for uh, against Bidus since 2012 as well so it's a, a Chance for both these teams uh, to upset the, the bigger ones and uh, get their uh, place in the final. And of course, Bloemfontein and Celtic under Clinton Larson have done very well. They won the Telcom knockout under him three seasons ago. And uh, Kaiser Chiefs have looked a bit shaky uh, at the back. Mm-hmm. And uh, Itumeleng Kune has conceded two long range goals this season as well. And uh, I think there's a lot to play for. For me, the most interesting thing, John, is Kaiser Chiefs have been complaining about the lack of home fans at the FNB Stadium, mm-hmm. uh, besides, of course, when they play Pirates and Sundowns. And uh, they may be Outnumbered by the Bloemfontein <laughs> the fans This evening It's not too far away From uh, Bloemfontein Is the mm. FNB Stadium Lovely Johannesburg day Today It's payday as well No excuse not
1: to go Alright Mo <laughs> You've got
8: regular updates For us this evening eh? Absolutely And uh, hopefully we'll Describe a few goals as well
1: Nice indeed Mo Ali Bringing us all the action FNB Stadium today And then, if you don't make it or, or if you can't hear it live Then we'll wrap it up Tomorrow morning On SAFM's AM Live That's the programme For today Just an answer To our sports quiz question Who's the youngest player Ever to win In the Rugby World Cup final The answer is Francois Stein. He was 20 years and 159 days old. It was against England on October the 20th. What a great day. 2007. South Africa. France Stein, the youngest player ever to win a Rugby World Cup final. Well done to Sipo at the end there, getting in the correct answer. That's the programme for today. Just to update you quickly on a couple of scores that are on the go. Spurs and Everton are goalless by Munich, lead by Leverkusen, by a goal to nil. Half time in Italy, where Bologna and Sassoula are playing to a no-score draw. Half an hour in Spain, Real Sociedad and Gijon playing to a no-score draw as well. Thanks to producers Siobhan Chiedi for producing, Brittany Clamp also producing today. Perhaps thank you very much for pushing the buttons. And to Coolcheck for putting the whole show together as well. A reminder, sport at safm.co.za is Kulchik's email address, sport at safm.co.za. It's 7 o'clock. My name's John Kerricker. Time for the news.